Hey, it's a great opportunity. You know, at New Spring, our goal is for all of us who are part of this fellowship to worship one, serve one. And I know you're here worshiping on Saturday night, uh, but it just, there are great opportunities to serve. And I just don't know of any place, although all of our ministries are important, I just don't know of any place where the outcome is greater and the rewards greater than working with kids. And so we'd encourage you, if you have a burden about that, a passion for it, which is, you know, somebody would say, well, Mark, I don't know how to do the job. One thing I've learned in leadership, and I teach other leaders, is that passion will always find talent. You know, a lot of talented people aren't passionate, as you may have run into a few of those. But, but passionate people will always find a way to do the job. And so if you're just passionate, we'll help you. We'll, we'll have a place for you. And so just, uh, in fact, Dan and Deb were down here on the front, and Dan's got that cool shirt. Stand up, Dan. Let me see the shirt. Can we get the camera in? Can we get that in tight? I, I love that. Yeah, I like the little pe- peering over the thing there. That's great. All right. New Spring Kids. Love that. Well, I've gotten a lot of little comments about the, the look coming back from vacation. Uh, <laughs> it was kind of funny at 9.30 last Sunday, you know, because uh, every audience here at New Spring is a little bit different, but 9.30 crowd is just, there's something, man. There, uh, and if you're a part of that crowd, uh, you know, it, it's so I had, the, I had this one of these kind of Freudian moments where I stood up to speak and I started the message and I'm kind of into it. And so I'm looking out there and like everybody starts kind of chuckling and poking each other and stuff. Hey, have you ever been talking and you know nobody's listening to you? So I'm up here actually going through the first minute or two of the sermon and I know nobody's listening to me. And then I almost start laughing because I think about what a humorous situation it is for a speaker to be talking and nobody to be listening to him. But it's been pretty pleasant, and most comments have been real, real, real good, except today <laughs> something happened that really caused me to rethink that. I, I got out of my car, and the guy standing by my car just absolutely freaked. I mean, he just lost it. And I thought, what is the matter with this guy? And finally he calmed down, he said, I thought you were Jack Nicholson. That wouldn't have been so bad, but that's been twice in the last week that somebody has mentioned Jack Nicholson. So I'm, I'm getting a little concerned about that, but I'm going to go ahead and bring the message tonight because I think you can handle the truth, all right? So, <laughs> you know, this will be the only time I speak this weekend. So if you've wandered in on our Saturday evening service, this will be the only message I bring this weekend uh, because I had actually been scheduled to be away this weekend. I try to take three weekends off in the summer. It gives me a chance to recharge, and, and it really means a lot to Mary Alice. Um, but uh, I was going to be away this weekend because my son Jonathan turns 26 tomorrow, and he's on the staff of the First Baptist Church of Ebon. He's on the pastoral ministerial staff, and I promised him that I would be in his church tomorrow. Our guest speaker tomorrow could not be here tonight because his granddaughter's getting married. So that left me here. And so I'm in that unusual situation of bringing this message in fact, you're the only ones at New Spring who will hear this message this weekend. And because it is kind of an unusual time, I want to just bring something from my heart tonight that might not even consider, you might not even consider a sermon. Uh, maybe it's just a talk, maybe it's just a little bit of a Bible study, but it's all about when a crisis comes into your life. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have dealt with a crisis? You woke up one morning and everything was normal, but by the time you went to bed that night, nothing was normal. And if you've ever had a day like that, you know that it can, it can cause you to question a lot of things. You can question, does God still love me? Does God care about my situation? Um, is there a God? <laughs> I've talked to people who say, you know, I've, I got rocked so hard by something so ugly that I began to wonder for just a few moments. I, my faith was tested, and I wondered, is God really there? Well, tonight, I'd like to talk to you uh, from 
a story in the Bible, which is one of my favorite Bible stories from one of my favorite Bible characters. And his name is Hezekiah. And if you're not real, real familiar with your Bible, let me just give you a little thumbnail, cliff note sketch, a version of who Hezekiah is. Hezekiah is a king. He is king over God's nation, Judah. He is a descendant of King David. Israel and Judah, if you study the kings and the chronicles, you will discover that most of the kings that Israel had or Judah had, most of the kings were bad. Only a handful of the kings were good. The reason I say Israel and Judah, Israel had been one nation under David and Solomon, but it split, it divided into what was called the northern kingdom, which came to be known as Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was known as Judah, because the predominant tribe was the tribe of Judah from which all the kings came, and it was really where God's hand was. Israel, the northern kingdom, never had a single good king. All their kings were bad. Judah had mostly bad kings, but on occasion, they'd have a good king. Now, when you read about the kings in the Bible, there is a line that separates them. I'm not talking about the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. There was a line that separated the kings. The Bible says that the kings either did that which was right in the sight of God, or they did that which was evil in the sight of God. Which reminds us, you can't be half right with God any more than you can be a little bit pregnant. You either follow God or you don't follow God. And so that's what went on with these kings. And most of them, as I say, were bad, but a handful were good. And among the good ones, and my personal take is, and this is just something that maybe I shouldn't even rank them, but my personal take is the second best king that God's people ever had was this guy named Hezekiah. And he ruled years and years and years after David. And by the time Hezekiah got on the throne, things were bad. And I mean, they were horrible. Judah as a nation had gotten way away from God. They weren't serving God. They'd been kicked around by their enemies. They had quit worshiping God at the temple. They were lazy. They weren't godly at all. They didn't think about God. They didn't go to worship. They didn't have time for God. And God just said, okay, if that's the way you want to live your life, I'll take my hands off. And they were in more Dutch, more trouble than they knew what to do with. And things were really, really bad when a 25-year-old kid named Hezekiah was crowned king. Almost all his predecessors, his immediate predecessors, have been bad people. And you would have thought that maybe Hezekiah wouldn't have stood a chance. But amazingly, this 25-year-old kid hits the throne like a ball of fire and immediately sets temple worship back up again. And he brings back the priests and the Levites. And he says to his nation, we are going to follow God. And he meant business. And the people believed him. And it's just beautiful to see what happens next. I mean, he brought the people in to sacrifice to God. He brought people in to worship God. They sang. They read the word of God again. And even he went into the northern kingdom. I mean, they had been enemies for a long time, but he went into the northern kingdom and said, hey, I know we've been divided in the past, but you know what? We really ought to love the Lord and worship the Lord. And so we're going to invite you down to Jerusalem. Come down to celebrate with us. And most of the people in Israel laughed at him, but there were even a few people in the northern kingdom that said, hey, God is doing something down in Judah, and they got a real king down there named Hezekiah, and we're going to follow him. And the Bible says that God loved Hezekiah. God was all over him. God was pleased with him. He did the things that pleased God. He did the things that God loved, and God was pleased with him. So guess what? 
what do you think happened? Because God was pleased with him. Everything went great, right? If you read the, cha- the chapter of previous, or a couple of chapters previous to this, the Bible said Hezekiah did all those things that were right, so he was attacked. And here come the Assyrians, the most brutal people group that anybody had to deal with in those times. And the Assyrians had gone through every other nation and every other kingdom like a hot knife through butter. And so the king of Assyria came against Hezekiah, and after Hezekiah had done all these things right, I mean, have you ever been there where you really do try to please God? You think, wow, I mean, God is going to bless me because I've tried to please God. And next thing you know, you're in more trouble than you know what to do with, and you're saying, I don't understand. I'm trying to please God, but I got trouble. This person over there doesn't give God a second thought, and he's driving a big car and living in a nice home. I don't understand what's going on. Hezekiah was there because he tried to please God, and now he's in all kinds of trouble. And so here comes this powerful nation. It was the superpower, the only superpower at that time. They had just ran through everybody else, and all the other kings had said, look, take our gold, take our silver, do whatever it takes, just don't attack us. I mean, Assyria really wasn't even having to fight many battles. They were just such a terrifying world power that all they had to do was show up, and the kings would say, here, take the store. Well, Hezekiah tried that. He said to the king of Assyria, what will it take to make your armies go away and leave us alone? And they quoted him a figure, but you know what it's like when you pay blackmail. (laughs) Hezekiah gave them all the gold and silver. The Bible says he even took the gold off the doors of the temple, gave them everything. But that didn't stop the king of Assyria. He came back and he started yelling and he screamed at Hezekiah. Here's basically what he said. He said, all the other nations weren't able to beat us. What makes you think you're going to be able to beat us? And he said, we're going to tear you apart. And Hezekiah is just almost pathetic. Hezekiah and his leader said, please talk to us in Aramaic because we don't want our people to hear all these threats. You're going to scare them to death. And they said, yeah, that's what we came here for. We wanted to scare your people. And finally, the king of Assyria sent Hezekiah a personal letter. And in the letter, it said something like this. What makes you think your God can deliver you? And he ticked off the names of a bunch of other countries. He said they had gods, but their gods didn't deliver them. So what makes you think your God can deliver? He said to Hezekiah, your whole army couldn't even take care of one detachment of my army. What makes you think your God can deliver you? And this isn't what I'm going to talk about tonight, but hey, this is my only time to preach this weekend. So I got to tell you one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Hezekiah's cool. He's my kind of guy. I like him. Got a little flair for the theatrical. I mean, he's scared to death. He's got on burlap. He knows his army outside of God is about to be kicked around. He takes that letter, (laughs) and he goes into the house of God, and he puts the letter down there, and he said, read this. Don't you like that? He said, Lord, look at what he says. And he said, it's right, the other nations couldn't deliver themselves because he said they didn't really have gods. But he said, we have a God. And he said, we trust you. And he said, Lord, if you don't help us, we're dead. And Isaiah, his prophet, came back to Hezekiah and said, Hezekiah, don't worry about this thing. God's all over. He's going to take care of things. And it's just awesome what he did. God sent an angel. The next morning, if you have the King James, there's a grammatical little funny thing there where the Bible says that the next morning 185,000 Assyrians woke up dead. And that was the story. Now Hezekiah at this point is 39 years old. He has served the Lord. He has worshipped God. He has brought back worship to Israel. And beyond that, he has watched as God has magnificently come through. 
And so you would think at 39 years of age, after 14 years of turmoil, you would think that Hezekiah is ready to settle down with no problems. Take your Bibles and look at chapter 20. About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. And the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order, for you're going to die. You will not recover from this illness. Now, I've been around quite a bit when doctors have told people that they weren't going to get well. And I've watched as God has countermanded that. Because even the best of doctors, and they would be the first to tell you, they don't know what's going to happen. They can give you the best prognosis based on what they've seen in the past and what the illness and the tests tell them. But this did not come from a doctor. This came from God. God said to Hezekiah, you're going to die. You're not going to live. That's what his preacher, that's what his pastor, Isaiah, came by to tell him. Hezekiah, this is a fatal illness. And then he took a step further. He said, set your house or set your affairs in order. Could I ask you tonight, and this isn't necessarily what the sermon is about, but what would you do if you knew you only had seven days to live? I can tell you, first off, some of the things that are important to you right now wouldn't be very important. A lot of the things that drive your life right now would stop driving your life if you knew in seven days you're going to die. Chances are, some things that aren't very important to you right now would get very important to you. And that's a good exercise to get into every once in a while, because you know what? Sometimes we get crossways with people in our lives. Sometimes we get in love with possessions. Sometimes we get all upset over things that don't matter. It's a good thing to remember that if we were going to die in seven days, we would have a great change in our thinking. And that's what God was just simply saying to Hezekiah. Hezekiah, think about things. You're going to die. You're not going to live. Set your affairs in order. Okay, take your Bibles one more time. Let's look and see what happens next. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I've always been faithful to you. And have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and wept bitterly. Now, does it touch you the way it touches me that Hezekiah's life had been a preparation for this moment? Many of us want to pray a prayer like Hezekiah, but I think it's significant that Hezekiah lived the kind of life he lived so he could pray the kind of prayer he prayed. A lot of people don't want to live for God. They don't want to serve God. They don't want to put God first in their life. But then a crisis comes, and all of a sudden, they they get so spiritual, and I want to pray, oh, God, I'm ready to do anything you want me to do. I'll go to China. I'll be a missionary. I'll do whatever you want me to do. God, I'm just so ready to be spiritual and godly and go to church and read my Bible. One of the things I love about Hezekiah was he understood that his life had been lived just so he could pray a prayer like he had to pray. And Folks, I want to tell you something. God loves you, and God will forgive you no matter what you've done. And I want you to know that. I don't ever want you to be afraid to come back to God. But I also want you to remember it pays to serve God. It pays to put God first. Look at Hezekiah's prayer. I mean, he wasn't trying to tell God he deserved it. He was just saying, Lord, I've been faithful. I've served you single-mindedly. I've always been doing what's been pleasing you. And that was true. That was exactly what Hezekiah had done. He had been faithful. Now, if I, I don't think anybody's like that here. But I, I, I went to a theology school that was very what we used to call Calvinistic. Does the word Calvinism mean anything to anybody here tonight? Would you raise your hand if you know anything about Calvinism? 
just a wretched, wretched, wretched school of theology. And that's where I was trained, very Calvinistic school. And the idea is this. God's already decreed everything. Nothing's ever going to change. The people who are supposed to be saved are going to be saved, and they can't do anything about it. They don't want to be saved. It's too bad. They're going to be saved anyway. People who are lost are going to be lost. No matter what, ha- what happens, they're going to be lost. God's already decreed everything. It's not going to change. I remember I was a senior in theology course, and I had a theology professor whom I loved dearly then and I loved dearly now. He's a great guy, a great Bible scholar, but extremely Calvinistic. And he was a brilliant man, a genius. And he scared all the young theologues to death. And so he, he, was, he, he, would, he would get to the class and he would bring his grade book with him. And there were about 60 of us senior theology students in this particular class, all of us going into the ministry, pastors. And he would like close his eyes and he would put his finger down and he would just call the name out of that person. And then everybody would tremble, you know. And he would just lead you down the primrose path and he'd cut you off, you know. So he did this. This is the first day of theology class in 1978. I'm a senior in theology, and he, he like, closes his eyes, first day of class. Everybody's just terrified, thinking, oh, Lord, let it not be me. He circles around the grade book a few times. Finger goes right down. Mark Hoover. Oh. Now, you have to understand, I mean, I probably wasn't quite as afraid because I had been a debater all the way through high school and college. I love this kind of stuff. But you have to, Dr. Cunningham, what he would do is he would throw a slow pitch. He would throw an, a pitch out there that the theology answer was so easy, it would set a baseline for the rest of the discussion. So the good thing for me was he was throwing me a slow pitch. And he said, here's the question. He said, Mark, did God ever decree anything that did not come to pass? And, of course, the answer is supposed to be no, because whatever God decrees always comes to pass. So he said, did God ever decree anything that didn't come to pass? I said, yes. Wham! Every head in the room snapped up, and especially Dr. Cunningham's. He said, well, when, when did that ever happen? I said, God told Hezekiah he was going to die, and then he changed his mind. And it got deathly silent, just like it is right now. <laughs> and Dr. Cunningham looked at me for a moment. He just froze there for a moment. He said, I don't think you want to get into that. And he went right on and asked another question. A lot of years passed. I'm pastor now of what was Messiah Baptist Church, not New Spring Church. And we're having a, uh, we're having a, this is like early years of my pastor. We're having a, a teacher uh, retreat, and Dr. Cunningham was the best teacher I ever had. So even though I disagree with him, he was an awesome teacher. I invited him up to come do a teacher seminar for us. We were sitting down at a restaurant one time. I said, Bobby, do you remember when I was in class many years ago? And you asked, did God ever degree to something that didn't come to pass? And I said, God said, Hezekiah, you know, he told Hezekiah he was going to die, and he had 15 years to his life. And you said, Mark, you don't want to get into that right now. I said, Bobby, I want to get into that. He just laughed and said, okay, concede the point. But for Hezekiah, it was more than just a point. Look at this. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall, verse 2. He prayed to the Lord, remember, O Lord, how I've always been faithful to you. I've served single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and wept bitterly. But before Isaiah had left the middle courtyard, this message came to him from the Lord. Go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David, says. I have heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. I will heal you. And three days from now, you'll get out of bed and go to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. God says three things to Hezekiah that have carried me through several crises in my life. I don't think I have a crisis in my life that I don't think about the three things that God said to Hezekiah. 
If you're going through a tough time right now and you can't figure it out because you're trying to please God, but you're in a crisis and you're saying, I don't, this doesn't equal out, I want you to hear three things that God says to Hezekiah and he says them to you. Number one, God said to Hezekiah, I have heard your prayer. When you're going through a crisis, the smartest thing you can do is call out to God. Like Simon Peter, when he was about to go under the water, he said, Lord, save me. When you're going through a crisis, call out to God. God said to Hezekiah, I have heard your prayer. The first thing that God is saying is, I know what's going on. Now, that's a comfort to me. Because when I'm going through pain, I want to know that God knows What's going on with me? Because the most difficult thing about going through a crisis is the feeling that maybe God has lost your address or that God has forgotten you. I mean, it's like I pray to God and God, where are you? God said to Hezekiah, I know what's going on in your life. If you're going through a crisis right now, remember this, God knows what's going on. It gets better. God said to Hezekiah, number two, I have seen your tears. Now that's interesting because God isn't just restating what he just said. He said, I have seen your tears. That's tantamount to God saying, I care about what's going on in your life. I don't know how he does it with six billion people on the planet, but God cares about what's going on in every one of our lives tonight. You say, Mark, I'm going through tough times tonight. Well, God cares about that. When I was a kid growing up in Texas, we used to sing a song that I love. Does Jesus care that my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? And my sad heart aches as it nearly breaks? Is it aught to him? Does he see? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are dreary and the long nights weary, I know my Savior cares. And I want to tell you tonight, there's nothing that you're going through that God doesn't care about. It could be cancer. It could be a divorce. It could be the loss of a job. The one thing you can know is if you've called out to God and you love him with all your heart, God knows what's going on and God cares. But I am so glad that we do not have a passive God because the third thing that God said to Hezekiah was, I will heal you. It was, I know what's going on, I care about what's going on, and I'm going to do something about what's going on in your life. I am thankful tonight we have a God who can do something about our circumstances. And I believe that tonight. I've seen God heal. I'm not a faith healer, but I believe that God heals. I've been there when it happened. I mean, I've prayed before, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not saying I had great faith. I just prayed because God said pray for the people who are suffering, and I've prayed, and I've watched God instantaneously bring healing. I didn't understand it. Doctors didn't understand it. I still don't understand it. But I've seen it happen. And beyond that, I've been healed by God. And by the way, all of us have. I mean, after all, hasn't God just sort of built healing into the human equation? But beyond that, I've seen God miraculously heal. So you know what this sermon's about, right? You sort of got an idea. Mark's talking about when you have a crisis, call out to God, pray to God. God cares, God sees, God knows, God, God can do something about my situation. That's what Mark is saying tonight. You ever go to one of those movies 
And it's like it plays out, and you think it's all resolved. You think, okay, it's about time for me to throw away my popcorn and my drink and go home. And then all of a sudden, the story changes. That's what's about to happen with this message. The reason why I'm in the message the way I'm about to is how many times do we pray for God to solve our circumstances? We, there's somebody we pray, we say, Lord, let this person live, and they don't live. Oh, we say, God, I want you to resolve this problem in my life, but it doesn't resolve. And it's like, God, Mark said that you know and you care and you can do something, but you didn't do something. How many of us have prayed for God to spare someone's life? And God said no. You know, there are verses in the Bible where the Bible says in Isaiah 57, verse 1, good people pass away, the godly often die before their time, but no one seems to care or wonder why. No one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. See, we think about death as being the end. God doesn't think about death as being the end. It's like a flight. You know, when somebody takes a flight, there's somebody saying goodbye, and there's somebody waiting at the airport to say hello. And we have to think about how God views the death of our loved ones. We're saying goodbye to them, and we feel like it's the worst thing in the world, but the Bible says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his children because he's saying hello to them when they're getting home to heaven. So you read this story about Hezekiah, and you think, wow, God answered his prayer. God added 15 years to his life. That was great. Are you sure? Might it have been better if God had just called Hezekiah home when he wanted to? Let's turn the page. If you have your Bibles, you can go forward to chapter 20, 21. And if you did, you would read about Hezekiah's son Manasseh who reigned after him. Manasseh was one of the worst kings that Judah ever had. If you read through this chapter, you'll find out that he brought back all the terrible pagan practices He rebuilt the pagan shrines that Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. He constructed altars for Baal. He actually burned, listen to this, Manasseh burned one of his sons alive as a sacrifice to a pagan god, one of Hezekiah's grandchildren. He practiced sorcery, the Bible says. He consulted with mediums and witches and psychics. The Bible said he did so much that was evil that God said he had never seen any of Israel or any of Judah ever be so wicked that his wickedness was only the equivalent of what some of the pagan nations were like. Manasseh went to the throne when his dad Hezekiah died. Let's read verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. Do the math. God said to to Hezekiah, I'll add 15 years to to your life. But it was during that 15 years that a son was born to him who would destroy everything that Hezekiah built up. Now here's my question for us in this offbeat sermon that I'm bringing tonight. You know when crisis comes to our life, it's just natural for us to pray for God to resolve the crisis in our way. But how much wiser is it for us to say, Lord, like Jesus did, not my will, but your will be done. Because here's the thing. If you can trust Jesus with your soul, you can trust him with your life. And that means even the things that come along. And I'm not saying you shouldn't pray and ask God to resolve the problems. 
But how much wiser would it say, Lord, I don't know what lies ahead. You have a vantage point that I don't have. And I'm trusting you to work in my life. Would you bow your heads for just a moment, please? Maybe you're here this evening and you're just saying, Mark, right now in my life I have a crisis of trust. And right now it's everything I can do. Would you pray for me that I'll be able to trust God in the circumstances of my life? Would you just slip up your hand right now while heads are bowed and eyes are closed? And I want to pray for you tonight. You just say, Mark, I'm just going through some odd circumstances right now. Pray for me that I'll have the strength to trust God. I will. Let's pray. Father, you see these tonight who need your help and strength. And Lord, we don't know what's best for us. Even when we think we do, we don't. But Lord, thank you that you care for us and we pray that you'll work in our lives and do that which we cannot do for ourselves. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's keep our heads bowed for just a moment. You know, every weekend, a number of people give their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. A moment ago, I said, you know, if you can trust Jesus with your soul, you can trust him with your life. But my question for you is, have you trusted Jesus with your soul? Your soul is your inner person, that part of you that's going to live forever. This body that you and I live in, it's going to go back to the dust someday. But the part of you that's awake and alert and alive and cognitive, that part of you is going to live forever. And the Bible says that Jesus loved you so much that he came to our world and lay on a cross and he let them drive nails into his hands and feet and hung there as a sacrifice for you and for me. And the Bible says that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that all your sins are washed away and God makes you his child. It is the gift of God. And right now, if there's something within you that makes that sound wonderfully attractive, that something is God's Holy Spirit talking with you. I don't mean audibly talking, but I mean just communicating with you that Jesus Christ is your Savior and that you should reach out and accept Him. And if you've never done that, you can simply do that by praying and inviting Him to come into your life. You turn from your old way of thinking and you take Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you're willing to do that, your world will change forever. If you've never prayed to receive Christ, I want to give you a chance to do that. Would you just join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, please come into my life. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave. Forgive me and save me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you got a worship folder when you came in tonight, and uh, please let us know that you did. And the thing is, uh, you know, we, we, want, we want you to be able to take some steps in following Jesus and know more about him. If you prayed to receive Christ tonight, would you just please do us a favor? Would you come back by guest services back in the back? Or if you, just, if, you, if you prayed this prayer, you can even talk to one of the greeters, and they can get one of these for you. This is a little packet that we've put together with some wonderful materials to help you know how to take your first steps in following Jesus. Please stop and get one tonight if you've prayed to receive this prayer. And if you don't have time to, to receive one of these tonight, you can just, um, you know, you can drop the card in the offering plate or the, uh, the boxes back there and we'll get one of these to you. But we would much rather just give you one tonight. And all you have to do is just bring your card and say, hey, I pray with Mark tonight and they'll give you one. And then just please do that tonight. It'll mean so much to us. 
We're going to ask the ushers to come forward now for the um, evening offering. It's time now to bring our offerings and gifts to the Lord. There are envelopes in the backs of the pews right in front of you. And if you want to participate tonight, if you're part of New Spring Church, uh, God has given you this awesome church to have an opportunity to reach the world. So this is the time for us to bring our tithes and our offerings and our gifts to the Lord. As the ushers prepare, let's pray and ask God's blessing in the offering. Lord, once again, we come before you, thanking you for the way you take care of us and the way you supply our needs. Now, Lord, please receive our tithes and our offerings. In Jesus' name, amen.